Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined once again by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, hello, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And to start this New Year's off right, uh, we are also joined by our friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. All right, so, you know, it's the, it's the start of a new year, which means it's a very good time to consider uh, the best things that the old one brought to us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, you know the great games we played, uh, some some positive and negative trends trends we may have seen. Uh, but John, I thought we I thought you'd let us start us off because we haven't checked in with you in, in a little bit. Uh, if you had to single out uh, some of your strategy highlights from 2018, where would you begin? So uh, for me, 2018 started really strong because I got Dominion's Five, and that was big. Uh, I've always been a Dominions fan. I think anyone who listened to the Dominions 5 podcast this year uh, got that sense. Um, and that was awesome, right? Like something big and thick and delicious to dive into. Uh, at the same time, we got two great expansions for Total War Warhammer 2 this year. Um, we got Six Ages. We got Mutant Year Zero here late in the year, which was great. Um, we got Two Point Hospital, which was an excellent management game balanced out some of the other disappointing management games this year. Um, and we got a whole year of delicious micro-strategy games. We got Northgard, we got Kingdom Two Crowns, we got Into the Breach. Um, it's just a lot going on. Yeah. Um, I guess, real real quick, why don't you catch me up a little bit on uh, Warhammer? Because there was an expansion toward the end of the year that I totally spaced on. Was it, like, vampire-themed? Vamp- like. Uh, vampire pirates so like yeah if you take the first pirates of the caribbean movie um and then you made that into an entire faction for total war that's what it is is that good that sounds like a very mixed blessing (laughs) no it's it's a beautiful thing it's a truly beautiful thing like giant crab armed guys whose one arm is a crab claw and the other arm is a cannon Interesting. Is it like this is the, my question when I when I hear about this stuff? Is it mostly just a thematic success of like, hey, this is some cool looking stuff to play with, or because Warhammer sometimes has those armies that are mostly just like cool looking toys, but sometimes, especially with the uh, Total War Warhammer series, sometimes like the faction specific mechanics get really creative and like profoundly change the game you're playing. Yeah, so the cool thing about the um, Vampire Pirates was that they uh, are – they're the Vampire Coast. They're all the Vampire Pirates that live out in the South America equivalent. Um, they are not focused on conquering territory as much as they are focused on raiding other factions and then setting up secret pirate coves on their territory to generate passive income. So instead of necessarily conquering and taking settlements, you want to raid a settlement, attack it, defeat the army, but then just loot it, and then uh, you get to build your sort of secret base. Oh, that is And you're sort of going around to capture these um, secret keys so that you can become the master of the sea, basically. Okay. So it's different faction mechanics, but also kind of a different endgame as well. Right, a different campaign goal. Meanwhile, the other factions are still doing the Total War Warhammer 2 campaign where they're trying to uh, control the Vortex. Okay. Um, So I tend not to be... Like, just Dominions is one of those things that I'm always like, one of these days I'm really going to get into that series. Uh, And then 
the years keep going by and I just haven't done it. And I'm starting to wonder if, if, if it'll ever happen for me. But uh, Dominions 5, uh, what makes a good Dominions game? Or what, what makes Dominions 5 a great one? So I think that what makes a good Dominions game is that it has lots of silly things you can do in it, right? Like I want to be um, bat people and extinguish the sun or what have you. Um, and Dominions 5 just added a lot of uh, strong stuff like that. It added a whole interesting elemental system with the different domains for your deities uh, where you have a much more powerful customization over what the blessings that your god gives are to the followers. Um, and so it's a lot about taking the toys that you've been given in the toy box and seeing what you can build out of it, um, combining the historical nation factions that you can pick with your customized god to make an interesting group. Awesome. Uh, I wish... I think... I'm going to hold off getting into Mutant Year Zero until... Like, we're going to do a show on it very soon. Uh, for me, I just sort of looked at it, and I was like, oh, I can't. It's too It's too late in the year. There's, there's already too much rattling around in my head. Uh, I think the last game for me to sort of make my list was uh, was Armored Brigade. That was probably the, the game that did the Indiana Jones trick of sliding in uh, un, under, the, uh, under the wall, as it were. Uh and that was probably my surprise hit of you know of the late late autumn, uh, early winter. Troy, did that end up making your list as well? I ended up making a list because I'm not a list type of guy. But and, I mean, I said in the podcast that it is was, was one of my favorite war games of the year, and it really does hold up. Um, and it, the year in war games has been kind of weak. There hasn't been a whole lot. We have the standard, you know. Uh, combat, modern, a nerval, a nerval operations add-ons, and you know, uh, splitter and add-on a whole bunch of stuff uh, to order of battle, and uh, there's a field of glory expansion. But as far as new and original war games, there really hasn't been a whole lot, um, which is kind of why Armor Brigade isn't a game I expected a whole lot from. But I mean, as I said in the podcast, it reminded me of so many of my favorite games, you know, uh, campaign flashpoints, uh, flashpoint campaigns, I guess. Um, and uh, Combat Mission and Close Combat and all of these great titles. And as I go back to it, it's it's so approachable. I mean, it is such a game. It is hard to play. I mean, it's because it's a hard game. Um, but it's not hard to understand. I mean, the interface could be a lot better. Uh, but it's Command Ops, but dialed down a bit, which yeah. I think is kind of the right approach to it. Um, and it really, when I saw that on your list, I was very happy uh, because I think it was a game that really needed some waypoints. It's a game that needs a lot of ex more exposure, I think. And I really think it could do something to expose people to, you know, these types of real-time war games. A lot of people think of war games in the main uh, gaming space, and they still think about, you know, operational art of war or you know, some of the more esoteric uh, type of war games out there, even though there are some really, really good, uh, comprehensible, real-time uh, war games out there. And of all, and I wish we'd see more of them uh, this year. Um, it's, 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 been a, a, it's been a very weird year. It's been a good year for strategy games, but as I look back on it, it's not a year that has had, you know, usually every year we'll get like one really big title. One really big original title. And we really didn't this year. We had expansions to the Total War series. We had expansions to Paradox Games. We had an expansion for Civ. But 
what's the biggest like new and original strategy game that came out this year? I mean, Val- Valkyria Chronicles Four. Yeah, and most people would think that an RPG. It's a game that's been a, it's been a year full of like B level releases. I mean, BattleTech, which we're not going to be talking about because uh, we're saving that for the other people, is probably the the the, the most successful, most recognizable. But that, but no one would have called that an A list title you know, in the strategy genre. Uh, so it's been a year of you know. I'm glad that, you know, I mean, uh, John mentioned micro-strategy games. I want to talk a little bit about those later on. It's been a great year for management sims, all kinds of management sims, especially the last half of the year has been just full of them. Um, it's been a decent year for Slytherin as a company. Um, you know, there, there were two interesting RTSs, Empires Apart and, and Northgard, like traditional RTSs, which is usually if you get one every three years, that's great. Here we've got two. Um and you have uh, g- 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 other Warhammer-type games, g- g- Gladius, Relics of War. There's a game that I think uh, deserves revisiting and maybe talking about uh, if there's another add-on coming from Proxy Studios, who I think do some really, really good game design stuff. It's been a year full of variety, and not a lot of it coming from with original new titles from the big players. No, I think you're right about that. It's actually a really good point there is no behemoth in the room this year and that actually probably let some of these smaller games and especially expansions uh shine yeah it's an interesting i I think it definitely did uh i think the fact that you didn't have everyone sort of flocking to a new sieve or something like that uh definitely allowed, allowed a little more a little more space for discovery uh, at the same time, it also feels a little bit like, um, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's happening across the industry. The fact that games are in themselves increasingly becoming platforms, uh, you know, the, you, you don't get sequels as often, but you do get the ever expanding, ever evolving game. Uh, and that seems to be increasingly the model that more and more publishers and studios are adopting. I mean, you know, Troy, you started out talking, I think, or, uh, about like order of battle expansions and and such, right? Like, or or yeah. new expansions for Fields of Glory. Even 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 Fields of Glory, uh, Fields of Glory Two, has become much like they did, I think, with um, oh gosh, Pike and Shot, uh, where there's the base game, and then you just get new expansions themed around different conflicts different battles and that is probably really exciting for people who love those games and i I do enjoy them uh but at the same time i think it contributed to this feeling of being kind of a weird year because if you were looking for like what is the new thing what is the what is the big uh you know, the, the big tentpole that like all all us strategy folk are going to be sitting around like excited to talk about. I don't think that this was the year for that really, except in a, a few really major cases. I think for the most part, it was kind of a year of uh, communities being serviced uh, without a lot of crossover. And, you know, to put a very practical spin on that, that really affects how we do the podcast, because a lot of the podcast topic ideas come from a bunch of us playing the same or similar games and saying, hey, let's do a show on. And when there's just this huge explosion of strategy games, which there has been over the last uh, five years in the the, uh, 
B and double B uh, level, it kind of makes it hard to plan, okay, what are we going, who's playing what? Now, this has led to us having a, a very deep bench and lots of great guests come on the show, which is just outstanding. But it also makes it kind of hard to plan a show around because you don't have, okay, we have this big game coming out in October. What shows can we build around that? for, you know, yeah. variety or lead up or that sort of thing. I um, mean, you know, when a sieve comes out, there was a time we could like do two episodes on a new sieve. Uh, now we really can't afford to do that, if the, even if there was a new sieve, because there's just so much stuff coming out and so much interesting stuff. Um, and it's it's a real challenge to like build, like how do you even build a strategy community when around like uh, like a G- Gladius, Relics of War, which is an interesting game, and like all of it, but I think it's an interesting game doing interesting things. How do you build the discussion around that when at the same time you have like, another hospital-themed game or two other Warhammer-type games? Oh, and there's a Battlestar Deadlock <laughs> expansion, and there's right. all of this stuff coming out. And what am I supposed to be playing? Who am I supposed to be talking to about this? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually really good. I was thinking about this the the other day too, uh, as we were talking, making some early you know twenty nineteen plans, discussing upcoming shows. I was yeah, had just finished a conversation with Michael, and I was thinking about like uh, you know years ago, there were a bunch of outlets where everyone would be like reviewing the same slate of strategy games, and also strategy games I think tended to mean like really specific genres that you could easily like identify and and discuss and there were fewer of them yeah and now it's it's a strange thing where there's so many games that you know valkyria chronicles 4 is probably the biggest example of this right like a lot of people i don't think regard it as like really a strategy or like tactics forward game it's like a tactic it's a it's a tactics rpg but that's kind of a, a big popular example of that but there's so many games now that I think Gladius uh, ends up fitting this fitting this example too. It looks a lot like a traditional 4X. It ain't. It just no. it, it materially yeah. is not. It looks like it. It just doesn't behave at all like it. And it makes it kind of this is ultimately going to be a good thing, right? We could like I've spent probably two, three years complaining about how the PC uh, strategy and war game space tends to maybe not have the kind of diversity of ideas that you find in tabletop. This felt like the year where maybe we were starting to see that shift. Like Northgard feels like an RTS that basically is cribbing a ton of ideas from like things that are happening in tabletop and have been happening. Yeah, absolutely. But it also means that what a strategy game looks like is starting to become as difficult to immediately parse and understand as it is when you consider like uh, someone's board game shelf, uh, you know? Yeah. The good thing about this is it's, we're finally getting to the point where I can say strategy about all the board games that board gamers call strategy board games. that are about like trains yeah. and stock markets um, and strategy PC gamers understand what I'm talking about. It's really satisfying. I mean, there is that. I, I wish I saw more. I wish it felt like there were more pickup around these ideas. Like again, we're not get, like I think this we talked about late in the second half of the show a little bit more. Uh, I was pleased to see how many people uh, ended up like embracing BattleTech because I was always sort of afraid that this would be the moment that I realized I'm just a crusty old man. Uh, cherishing lost dreams of an old board game that's not even that good anymore. Uh, I was pleased to see a, a lot of people sort of get on board with that. 
but likewise, I think I would like to see maybe games like uh, Battlestar Deadlock or like Northgard being a little bit more of the conversation. I think Northgard is a really important one. It's one of my favorite games this year because, again, there's so much talk about... There's two conversations around the RTS that are repeated a lot and uh, you know are maybe a little stale, but it's that RTSs uh, are a little bit moribund uh, that just the, the genre itself tends to be existing too much in the shadow of uh, the command and conquer and blizzard model. And then the other thing is that RTSs tend to be uh, very actions per minute based uh, very much about like mastering complicated controls and memorizing build orders, timings, uh, you know, unit interactions. Northgard comes along and it is recognizably an RTS. It basically throws all of that away. Like Northgard is functionally a real time worker placement board game with a very little bit of combat. I'm fanning myself right now. <laughs> yeah. Just... And so this is like, like, you know, this was, I mentioned this in my write up. Like to me, I play Northgard and I see everything that people have complained about, like RTSs having put them off. I look at Northgard and I'm like, this is the game that a lot of us have sort of been, or this is an example of the kind of game. A lot of, a lot of us have been saying we want, right. It's not really that reflex based. Uh, it's not about, really wrote build orders. It is a game where you have time to think, you have space to analyze these problems. You will still botch it because it's not, even though it's not reflex driven, uh, it is this ever evolving task of uh, inputs, outputs, uh, you know, what are, what are your needs? What do you need to do next? Uh, it's such a cool thing. Yeah. Anyone who vaguely enjoyed Offworld Trading Company and hasn't played Northgard is doing themselves a huge service. Um, it's just a very different take on what an RTS looks like or should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've been getting back into it. I think the one thing that I would, I would observe about it. I'm curious if you've had this experience, uh, but, uh, so we were playing it in the, uh, in the multiplayer group the other week and we were in the middle of like a pretty long match. Um, and around like, 20 minutes in 25 minutes in somebody's like so how are we going to win this thing because all of us have been so consumed by not having our little viking tribe starve to death and addressing invasions from the drow gear <laughs> and uh the ai players like all of us have been so busy with dealing with that stuff and also cleaning up after our own messes the sheer number of times that you know, one minute your your clan was flush with like tons of food stores and wood for the winter, and the next minute, for some reason, everyone was just starving to death because you hadn't tracked that your population was growing, and therefore your basic subsistence needs were increasing. You just forgot. You were like, "Oh, that's taken care of. I can I can ignore it." Uh, sure. And yeah. You, you know, you, that game continually gives you enough rope to hang yourself with. And that is such an absorbing part of the game. That is such a satisfying thing to play around with that the other effect I've noticed with Northgard is it is like easier than any RTS I've ever played to get caught up in playing your little like base solitaire. Uh, 
and completely forget that there are like meta objectives that will determine who actually wins the match. Yeah, no, you're completely right. That is a major thing with uh, worker placement board games, though. Yeah. You, people get so caught up in their own solitaire, building their engine, uh, getting their resources together that they realize, you know, halfway through the game, three quarters of the way through the game, they've neglected to do anything that gets them points, right? Yeah. To win. Yeah. Which I am thinking is probably pretty good. I think this is one reason that worker placement games are fun is because even if you're trash, you end up feeling like you're participating and you're you're being at least effective at building the engine. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. you might not be a threat to win, but you don't feel it's not like the RT the traditional RTS model, which is if you're not good, the game will sure as hell let you know. Yeah, and you will feel bad about it. You won't be like, oh, I even got like you. If you play StarCraft, you won't be like, at least I got to build some carriers before I lost. We'll right. just lose, right? right. Whereas, not, those carriers aren't getting up there, no. Yeah. Uh, John, you know, we're, we're sort of talking about this, uh, not, not quite convergence, but maybe some of the way dynamics and tabletop are being mirrored in uh, the video game space. I know tabletop is kind of your bag, uh, certainly. Uh, every every time we chat and, every t- and when I've been able to visit, uh, I've been introduced to really cool new stuff. Uh, what are some of the big highlights from that world this year? Yeah. Um, so as far as the purely tabletop stuff this year, the biggest game is a strategy game is called root. Um, it is a asymmetrical strategy game about cute woodland creatures engaged in a life and death feudal medieval struggle with each other. Um, it's about to, the two two major factions are the uh, the foxes who now rule the um, uh, the the as it no sorry the cats sorry the cats who now rule the forest and the birds who once were the nobility um, and then a, a fourth a third player plays the peasantry of the forest so the rabbits and little woodland creatures um and mice and things and a fourth player plays a raccoon bandit who's sort of a solo adventurer um and each of these four factions is trying to control the forest so you've got the foxes who are playing a or the cats sorry who are playing a really traditional uh strategy game where they're trying to build up resources to build bigger armies to control more territory right and so they're bringing a really straightforward territory control game uh and then you have the birds who are playing that same game against them but sort of theoretically have almost unlimited resources but they have to schedule everything perfectly and they have to plan everything perfectly and if they don't plan everything perfectly they fuck each other over and they backstab and their court falls apart and their turn falls apart um so they've got this really interesting action order and um planning mechanic uh and then you've got like the little peasants who are playing their own game where they're trying to stoke unrest and make an uprising happen and overthrow their oppressors and then you've got this entirely fourth player who only controls a single figure but he's going around uh causing chaos and stealing things and going on an adventure to try and become so powerful that he's unstoppable um and it's a really fascinating little game with beautiful artwork that's one of the major attractions really pretty components and beautiful artwork um, and it, it's maybe not as deep a strategy game as I think a lot of people want, but it has so much going on in it that it feels very rich and deep and interesting and strange. It, it's an interesting evolution, I guess, of the strategy board game and the war game, as it were. Yeah, It's like a convergence. Uh, that definitely sounds like a lot of moving pieces. 
uh, yes, for, for sure. And a lot of the 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 move toward asymmetric play experiences and goals is an interesting one. I do, you know, you mentioned that it may not be as deep a game as people want. Do you feel like there's a growing tension between like the balanced, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, the the the, the well balanced in terms of like uh, win rate outcomes from among experienced players versus creating an interesting experience. This is something I've started to suspect about like RTSs for years, right? That like. That like by foregrounding balance too much in the discussion, you might be foreclosing some fundamentally enjoyable experiences that maybe don't end up evening out particularly well. Uh, do you get that feeling off that game? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So there's, I think one of the biggest tensions right now in board games, especially, and I think in video games equally because they both have this problem, is there are so many new games coming out. Um, Video games have this problem less, though, because most video games someone can play by themselves in their house. And if they need another player, the Internet will find that player for them, right? Yeah. Um, whereas most board games, you have to get your friends together and play it. You have to buy it and get it shipped to your house or what have you um, and find time to physically be present with other people, which means you can only play so many new board games in a year, realistically. Yeah. And many of them you'll only play once or twice. Right. So when you look at a game like Root that came out this year, um, you probably aren't going to get to play that game the like eight or nine times it maybe deserves with the same group of people understanding the nuanced factions and their interesting little interactions, right? And all their asymmetrical components and how they work and fit together, let alone start playing an expansion, which has another entire faction. This is the... Yeah, th this is a strange thing. The Most people aren't going to play in that experience, but one problem that does seem to crop up in the modern board game environment, and my eyes were sort of open to this when I hung out with Bruce this summer, uh, we were playing Paths of Glory. And he introduces me to this idea that Paths of Glory uh, was a great game in its day. It was sort of a revolutionary war game in a lot of ways. It has also been lightly spoiled by the fact that certain like optimal strategies have cropped up that throw the game not only like really out of whack, but also force some really rote lines of play uh, that don't feel at all like what the game was originally intended to be. And right. it was weird. It was a weird experience playing that with Bruce because we were sort of playing it. He was sort of intentionally playing as if he were naive of those optimal strategies, which only cropped up really among people who were going to like wargaming tournaments. Right? They're going to cons. They were playing. They were you know they had they had set up and played this game uh, many many times. They'd seen many many games, and I do. I, I am curious whether uh, the fact that a lot of board game discourse is now happening uh, online and these things can be promulgated really rapidly creates kind of distorting effect, right? Like an example I return to a lot is a few acres of snow. I love a few acres of snow. Sure. Once someone outlines how the Halifax hammer strategy works, the experience of playing that game becomes really weird and really different and maybe unsatisfying. Uh, than, than when you were first learning it. And so it's it's kind of a complicated thing for me because on the one hand, uh, I think a game, I think a lot of great games tend to have 
certain unbalanced or, or goofy things that, that happen within them. And most people aren't going to uncover that. And the game will sort of have memorable uh, and diverse experiences. But if you go looking and poking into a lot of these games, uh, you will find that a lot of them do break under examination. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And so a lot of the better designers have learned that lesson and have moved very aggressively towards things like variable setup and um, randomized distribution of uh, starting positions and cards within decks uh, so that single dominant strategies are unable to emerge in games. Um, I, I mean, there's a great example of this, right? Martin Wallace, who designed a few acres of yeah. snow, he's an excellent designer. Um, he released a new version of his board game brass this year. Brass yeah. is a game about the industrial revolution in England. Um, the original game, it was called brass. It's now called brass Lancashire. And it's, it's the original game as is it has a fixed setup and stuff, but the new version of it is called brass Birmingham. Um, it takes place obviously in a different part of England. Um, and it's excellent. It's a great economic strategy game about building up the canal networks, moving goods from place to place in order to fulfill contracts, sell things, make money, get richer, um, build more factories. And then you move into the rail era, you start building railroads, you start moving goods more effectively and faster. But he added several mechanics to that game to ensure that a do dominant economic strategy can't emerge. It's impossible because the variable setup is different every game. Um, there are so many possible setups that begin. Um, I mean, that, and that because of what he did in the design of that game, he took an old design and he, simply by basically reshuffling the map and adding different possible starting locations, he turned it into the best economic strategy game of the year and also a game that I am really happy to have on my shelf because I know every time I take it out, it's going to be a different experience. That is really, really cool and a... A undoubtedly a positive trend, uh, though I imagine it also makes it a lot. I imagine it changes the experience of being a board game designer uh, somewhat, right? Because I think you know it's now there's post-release support, maybe in a more involved and uh, attention-consuming way than maybe there used to be. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a it's a problem that I think probably has to be resolved uh, because it is striking how much your experience you never want to be in that experience where you're playing a game and you know, there's a way to basically break it and ruin it a little bit. Yeah. And then you're consciously not doing things because you're trying like at that point, at that point you're doing sort of a pro wrestling thing, right? Where it's like, I'm trying to put on a show that like feels like what this match is supposed to be. And this isn't, this isn't really for real. Uh, and that's, that's a tough thing to, uh, to, to sort of square. Um, you know, one of the one of the things, Troy, I know that you wanted to talk about in terms of trends in game design and where gaming is headed right now. Uh, tiny strategy games. We we touched on this a little bit, uh, but it was something you cited. And and what do you mean by that? And uh, what do you find particularly novel and exciting about that? What I mean by small strategy, I think micro is what micro strategy is what uh, the term John used. I mean that uh, a game that has very small focus, generally small maps, short experiences. Uh, games you can play and be satisfied with in like 45 minutes or less um, with, you know, very modest ambition. So, I mean, Into the Breach, I guess, is the poster child for this. I think it is 
absolutely the best strategy game of the year. One of the best gaming experiences I've had in a long time. Um, you know, if anything that, that can get, you know, our friend and your colleague, Danielle Riendo, to play hundreds of hours of a strategy game built max has to be a good thing. Uh, and Into the Breach is just outstanding, and it's small, and it's short. Yeah, you can you can play it over and over again and unlock more things. That's just the unlocking collectible mechanic. That's standard. Beach game itself is generally quite small. But, you know, it wasn't alone. You had games like Bad North, which started coming out on Switch, a small game about defending islands from Viking invaders. And you play a few islands, and you're satisfied, and you stop, and then you go back, and you keep upgrading your armies and the like. Um, but each each battle takes, you know, no more than five minutes, maybe even less. Um, though it can get quite interesting when you end up where the positioning of your armies on the battles is not these aren't really deep strategy questions you're asking it's not you're not going to have a long treatise on them but it's it's a good short fun simple game was what came out on switch first i always think or maybe discord come on Discord. come on switch i think i think it was switch and discord simultaneous maybe right and then it's on yeah it's on pc it's on steam as well and then you have a circle circle empires which is this conquest game where you start in a grid, like it's like a, it's like a Connect Four grid, only smaller. It's just Connect Three generally, a three by three or a four by four grid, and you start in one circle, and then you just build up your army and conquer all the way down. You have different goals, you have uh, different factions, different heroes who have different powers, and these are all very, very small, very satisfying strategy games. And I found myself more and more playing these sorts of things uh, through the year, partly because, you know, during my day, I play, you know, really serious, heavy strategy games, sort of time at night, too. I don't want to play uh, Endless Space after playing Stellaris all day. I don't want to play Total War after playing Europa Universalis. I want, if I want to play anything, I want to play something that's going to be short and sweet and you know, or something very familiar. Like, I don't mind playing Civ again because it's familiar. It's just a comfort game. I have to learn anything. Wanted to play something new. I found myself going to these very small, tightly <laughs> designed, maybe ultimately shallow experiences. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a, it's a whole lot of game design lessons in something like Circle Empires, but there's a lot of satisfaction in just you know clearing a map. You build it has all of the strategy tropes you're used to. You collect your gold and your food and you build new units and you expand and you move and try to def build towers to defend yourself and you know there are big bosses and the like uh bad north it's upgrading armies and the terrain matters uh do I, how many i can only put like three armies here where do i put my archers are they going to be defended do i want to up turn these infantry into spearmen or swordsmen um how many enemies can I kill before they land? All of these very straightforward uh, strategy questions. And I think Bad North is like one of the most fun little stupid things I've played all year. Um, I haven't played the new Kingdom game yet. Um, I mean, even if you want to get into like pseudo strategy games like Reigns, uh, you know, we had uh, Reigns is like a, it's kind of like an interactive fiction type thing, but there is strategy because you have to balance the three factions and, you know, somehow collect certain cards to move forward. So there's some, some life strategy involved. And they had a Game of Thrones branded version come out this year, which is just outstanding. Um, and once it's a sort of thing, you could just pick up and play for a few minutes and then put away. And I think this is a this is a trend we're seeing in the indie space in general, um, because you 
there's just so much competition for players' attention that I don't think it makes a lot of sense to have uh, a whole bunch of indie developers fighting for the same 30 hours uh, of a player of a player's attention. No, uh, so, right. so you know, fighting for those you know 15, 30 minutes, and you know, people I think are a little more forgiving of that of their time being used that way. And I think that's great, and it's been one of the one of the great joys of this year. I, I mean, I, I've liked I've liked the big games. I've loved Dominion's Five. I think Northgard is just absolutely genius. Um, you know, and there all the great simulators that came out this year. You know, Theme Hospital, and, what the other hospital game, and there were a couple of dinosaur ones, and there's a couple of theme park ones. Parkitect is one I want to dig more into, and Aquarium Sim. These are all great, and these are all fun. But I find myself going back to very simple cartoon-type characters uh, doing their damage uh, in very small spaces. And Into the Breach is, like, the best of them, but, you know, it's, it's like the, it might be the best strategy game of the year, bar none. Mm. But if you want to have, <laughs> if you want to have a small—I I can't say Battletech. I'm not allowed to say Battletech. Uh, they'll probably Battletech. Uh, and then Into the Breach. But, you know, it's— I, I, the small, tightly designed. Uh, here, I'll keep you satisfied while I wait for your soup to heat up. Yeah, perfect. Try. I do want to go back real quick because I'm surprised yeah. to hear you speak so highly. Like, I'm not surprised that you would enjoy something like the Reigns Game of Thrones uh, edition, yeah. but it sounds like that really clicked with you. And I am just curious, like, what about that appealed so strongly? About Reigns and well, the, the Reigns formula in general. It's both, you know, very satisfying to, you know, make the right decision and unlock a new card, and very frustrating when you see a completely unanticipated boost in clerical power that leads you, you know, burned at the stake or whatever. Uh, so it has, like, that roguelike, arbitrary death thing. But, you know, you lesson learned. Now you know what that card does, what that decision does, uh, so you move it over. Um and Reigns 2, um, which was about being a queen, I thought was just one of the best written games of, I think, 2017 that came out. Is that 2017 or 2018? The second uh, Reigns. Ooh, I want to say it was late 2017. Yeah, I think but so. I, I'm willing to be wrong. But it was very good. It's very well yeah. written. Uh, but the Game of Thrones one, I mean, Game of Thrones is, I, I, I liked most of the books till I stopped worrying about when they're ever going to get done. I haven't read the, haven't read the last two. Um, and the series is quite interesting i'm not it, it's fun enough and but you know playing through these decisions with characters you recognize um you have to it's kind of it, it really is designed for fans of game of thrones because you have to you know recognize some of the references and have some idea of who the characters are when you're making decisions regarding them and you have to um you can unlock i think there are nine different characters who can be your ruler and your ruler dies, and then uh, Melisandre, the Red Witch, says, well, how would things be with a different ruler? And then you get to choose which of the rulers you've unlocked will carry through the rest of the game. And they'll get, you know, different options and different responses, and they have different relationships with their characters. And I just think that's a very interesting, you know, role-playing experience, and also an interesting strategy experience, is you have to bring, you know, your knowledge, it's, it's I mean, I bring my historical knowledge to strategy games all the time. Bringing some fictional knowledge to a world is kind of fun for a change. Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 I'm, I, I didn't get too far into it, but I played it and I really dug it. Um, Does it scratch and, the itch for a lion in winter strategy game? 
Oh, we have that. It's called Crusader Kings. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> uh, so we don't need that. Um, but it, 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 it is of... I really did like uh, the Reigns Game of Thrones adaptation. Um, it is, once again, something you can... I can only play for a short amount of time because I get, I get really, really mad at myself or I'm mad at the game for... Surprise, the peasants hate you now because you chose wrong on a card you've never seen before. Um, but that's part of the game. It's part of the learning. And I I really responded to that. It sounds like Troy had much the same experience with Reigns that I had with Six Ages this year. Um, just like a, a very narratively driven strategy game where you get to bring some personal knowledge to bear. And uh, Six Ages is a little more different and deep, but yeah. still. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, like, we should probably, like, let's let's go around and talk about some favorite experiences, uh, you know, that we want to cite before before the bell rings. Uh, but you mentioned Six Ages in, in your in your opening, uh, and I know that uh, when I was visiting some friends this summer, uh, Six Ages was kind of always happening in the background, uh, <laughs> which was interesting. I didn't get around to playing it, uh, but, but why don't you explain what it is and what makes it so special? Yeah, I felt like Six Ages is a is a fascinating mythic fantasy game, and it's a little bit unlike a lot of other games we have right now in that it's a narrative strategy game. It's a strategy game where the strategic choices you are making about your Iron or Bronze Age clan of horse barbarians is driven by the world around you and the people that you have to deal with on like a literally a day-to-day basis like are my neighbors going to hate me if i decide that the clan has to move this winter or if i decide that no we can't go to war with those neighbors even though we hate them um if those like you have to make your decisions based around that stuff and based around the the everyday facts and sort of the hard narrative relationships of the world you live in and that is a really satisfying experience to me, and it's something that we don't get as much of in strategies I'd like to, and hopefully with successive games like Rain, Reigns, we'll start to see more of over time. I just want to read a book, really, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, Troy, what about you? Anything else that you wanted to hit before we, uh, before we call it here? Uh, not really. I mean, it's it's been a, it's been a good year. I, I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward to next year because we have, you know, so many big titles coming. We have a huge expansion for Civ coming out. We have a new Total War, so I think one of my favorite periods of history. Uh, we have a couple of Roman strategy games coming out. It's going to be really exciting 2019. But 2018 was you know kind of it was a busy year. I mean, we have to find a better way of planning podcasts man because there were like a thousand games i thought wow we should do a show on this and like i was the only one who'd heard of it it's like oh yeah that- like no one was talking about it and it's like i mean it's just it is such a rich and exciting genre i'm just loving it yeah yeah well i think to that point there's like this is a broader conversation i've noticed this happening in the tv criticism space as well of there just being so much happening that it is harder to get conversations going around shows anymore uh you know what i mean you don't have those uh experiences that everyone is sharing like the way they shared mad men right and i think like gladius is a really interesting example because i saw gladius uh like the first reaction a lot of folks had to it was kind of a collective shrug 
and then slowly over a period of like six, eight weeks, different groups of people sort of cycled in and out being like, hey, I'm, you know, we're, I'm kind of getting into Gladius. It's, it's kind of a little different. But at no point did we ever have like two people actually talking about the game, uh, you know, very much at all. It's a, it's a strange thing, but this is kind of the other part of it is that a few years ago, um, you know, if you were a strategy or tactics gamer, you're probably playing the same games as other strategy and tactics gamers. This year, I certainly began to feel like that, that frayed apart. It's it, which again is a good thing, right? Like people saying, Oh, I'm a big reader. It sure doesn't mean they're reading the same books as everyone else. Right. They, 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 they have their own interests. We are starting to see that hit uh, strategy games and the, idea of you being a strategy gamer with some sort of comprehensive knowledge or 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 embrace of of everything the genre does or can do uh that's increasingly bygone and that's probably a good thing because we don't need uh as you said troy the you know people fighting over the same 30 hours we don't need somebody trying to recreate the arc of a civ experience uh with a different uh, you know <laughs> it's civ but here's with a with a bullshit different theme um I, I think the the last thing I'd want to cite a game that didn't make my list, but I ended up being pretty fond of it was Two Point Hospital. Uh, in the end, mm-hmm. really, I think the podcast we did on it turned me around on it a little bit because it did drive home how satisfyingly naughty its problems were. It, I guess, the analogy would be the things I said about uh, Northgard, where it is so easy to get completely absorbed by certain details and completely fixated on addressing one problem to the exclusion of everything else. Two point hospital yeah. is that, but in a management game, like you'll just, you'll go blind staring at a bad, a, a bad flow uh, in your hospital between like an intake room and exam room and a specialist treatment center. And you'll be like, damn, you know, the, I just see a few too many people piling up in that waiting room. Uh, I'm going to fix that. And maybe you do, but in the meantime, like just people are dropping dead in the halls, doctors just, you know, piecing out and going on break, leaving people to basically like die on exam tables. Uh, And it ended up being a, as sometimes grating as I could find the humor, uh, it ended up being a pretty absorbing and ruthless uh, optimization game, I found. Absolutely. I need to I need to give Project Hospital uh, a try, which I gather is the uh, you know more serious hospital game that that, that came out this year. Uh, although at the same time, uh, I don't know if I have it in me after after a year of dealing with like insurance paperwork. Uh, I'm not sure I have it in me to play a serious <laughs> uh, healthcare management game. Uh, maybe uh, maybe go to Mega Aquarium and, and stare at some fish for a while if you want more management for now. Yeah. Don't don't waste your time on the dinosaur games, though. I, I know all bad. Liked, I know like some people who liked it, evolution. Not anyone uh, around these I parts. I disagree with them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, that will do it for this week. Uh, there's going to be a second part of this conversation uh, where we're going to be joined by the Game King himself. Uh, and discuss some other games we didn't touch on here. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at
Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host for this, this second part of our 2018 strategy game retrospective, TJ Hafer. With me is Games Beats' Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And the Game King himself, Sean Sands. Hello. So at this point, uh, we've had the uh, the Troy and Rob crew have recorded their portion. We don't really know what they talked about, except for they gave us a list of games uh, that they've already covered. All the non-paradox stuff that Troy is uh, allowed to talk about. Um, so we're going to have the real show here from the looks of it, because we have uh, a lot of the bigger releases, uh, strategy releases uh, for this uh, for this year on the docket. And we'll see how many of them we get to. I think I'll just start uh, with you, Sean. What what strategy games stood out to you most in 2018? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, starting kind of with the Paradox theme, uh, but not going right for the classics of EU4 and stuff yeah. like that. Like Battletech, to me, was, was to, to my mind, the biggest kind of strategy experience I had this year. I abs- it, it, it was a great game. I absolutely loved it. It was... It was way more fun than i than i expected it to be um i, I it's one of those games that i come back to i, I probably have played it you know three different sessions throughout the years you know or mm-hmm. throughout the year just 20 <laughs> hours here 30 hours here come back after a few months you know i really need to walk around in a giant mech and just blow yeah. some other mechs up and just like it's it's so easy for at least for me it feels so easy to get back into now i haven't i always do a bad job of finishing the game i i play a whole bunch of it and then i go away and i come back and then i just want to start a brand new campaign so i'm pretty glad that uh they've added the uh the the non-campaign mode the uh the sort of career mode free yeah career mode um so that's I, I that's already sort of on my list for right at the start of the new years to go start a new career in in battle tech so I, I assume this is one you guys played too oh yeah that's that's my top game of the year overall not just uh strategy games um i went to go check my steam and it says 266 hours so (laughs) i have done maybe a little bit more than sean's three sessions yes yes although a bunch of that was is it's just been idle in the last few weeks while i've done the career mode and then alt tabbed out and done other things so maybe it's only like 200 hours (laughs) yeah it almost it it almost seems like at least within the the circles that we kind of interact with regularly it seems like it's kind of the consensus strategy game of the year almost it like if i if i went through and figured out where it factors into everyone's list it seems like it would end up coming out ahead i I don't know that there's another game that necessarily challenges it for just like strategy critics across the board loved this in 2018 maybe into the breach which we are going to talk about Mm -hmm. later too but also has robots true yeah, I've I've played about I've only played about eight hours of it. Um, I I wanted to play more, but it always seemed like I I wanted it to be one of those games where you have you know, like you know you have like a three day weekend and you can just really like chomp down on it and completely ignore the rest of your life and lose yourself in it. It feels like that kind of game to me, and I never found that that time. But I really have enjoyed what I have played of it so far, even if it's not. I mean, certainly not nearly as much as Rowan has. Um, Wait, it, Battletech or Into the Breach? Uh, Battletech. Talk, okay. I'm still talking about Battletech. Yeah, right. I was putting Into the Breach on the back burner. Um, do you guys ha- feel like, um, compared to other 
you know, Tacmans as as uh, Rowan has dubbed them. What makes BattleTech unique? Do you think that like what sets it apart from like an XCOM or something like that? Well, this is something that Rob discussed in his review, and we discussed on the show. But it's it's built on attrition, like an XCOM. Um, all of the characters and even many of the aliens are really fragile, and it can really mess your whole situation up if you just have one like randomly bad shot hit you uh, whereas Battletech being built on attrition you're supposed to take damage you're supposed to have these bad things happen you can survive them to a certain extent and that is significantly more appealing to me than the whole uh, like glass cannon idea of, of the XCOM because the big problem with XCOM is the difficulty spikes that occur if you just happen to like lose a character um, when you're playing at the higher difficulties like I tend to because I think it's too easy without them. It turns into an RPG. Not that there's anything wrong with RPGs. We'll get to them later. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, that, that sort of design ideology makes a lot more sense and appeals to me a lot more than most of the other uh, tactical management games. The exception here might be Darkest Dungeon, which is built on attrition going across a, a whole dungeon campaign um, instead of an individual fight, where in Battletech it's the individual fight. So that's, a, that's an interesting parallel, and you know these are two of my favorite strategy games of the past few years. So. But they're, they're still built on that slowness. I, I totally buy into uh, to where you're coming from here. Battletech to me is at its best when it feels like a fist fight, um, where it just feel <laughs> like where where it kind of feels l- a little long, a little just dirty and kind of back and forth. And you know, it, it's great. It's great when you have a mission that goes really well and goes according to plan, and you've got your positioning just right, and you take very minimal damage. Uh, but it's also really good when things go wrong, and that's to me sort of the the, the sign of a, of a, any kind of game, a, a good game that I really get into is when things go wrong and it starts to go awry, and you are just kind of slugging it out all of a sudden. You're not quite where you want to be, and you've been flanked, but you've got your meatiest, tankiest mech up there just punching another mech <laughs> you know it's just i like i love that um there there's a real i don't i don't know it just evokes something uh that that i don't get from a lot of other games right it's got this sort of gritty aesthetic to it it it, it feels you know you're you're this mercenary group it's not you, you don't imagine your ship with clean halls right it's there's boxes everywhere and there's grunge on the walls and um it just brings that kind of feeling of uh, you know, living on the edge of society and just being, you know, at the very ragged tip of, of falling apart, it 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 evokes that really well. I don't I don't know. I just I like it as both for its sort of pure strategy gameplay layers, but I also just like um, that it feels like you know getting your hands dirty every time you play it. And. The bad things about it sort of fit with that, too. It's not the world's most attractive game. The UI is a little bit clunky. Um, the speed of the game was really clunky on release, but it's gotten better. Uh, but I don't know. I have never actually felt like this is a problem when I'm playing it. it everything feels ramshackle, and that's neat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. I totally agree. It's also a game that rewards you for learning it. it, it it's something you can just step into. It's it, it it has an interesting difficulty component and difficulty curve in it. It's not hard to understand how to make things happen in it. You know how to move your mech, how to position it, how to shoot things, how to you know kind of back up, how to manage the the overall battlefield. Um, but the more you understand the stuff that's presented, the kind of the the little bits of information that are sort of scattered around um the more you can use that to your advantage and that's that's another thing that that gives a game longevity to me is is the ability to give you things to continue to learn like one of the reasons i still play lots of eu4 is because i'm constantly learning new things not just because there are new mechanics in but just because i'm kind of constantly discovering a new way to approach a problem given all the elements in there and i think battletech has that so moving on to the other the other robot game or did you have more to say uh, i just wanted to talk a little bit about the uh the the new career mode because i have oh, been yeah. thoroughly drenched in that for the past three weeks which uh the career mode is basically uh you can start the game it doesn't have the storyline which gives you a bunch of rewards for doing story missions that keeps the game like moving pretty easily uh and it does have a bunch of options for fiddling with the difficulty so what i have been doing is i have been requiring five pieces of salvage for each new mech instead of three and uh if a mech that I have gets its center torso destroyed, then it's gone for good. Now, this is a major pain in the ass, but it's a pain in the ass that I seem to love because I have, <laughs> you know, that has been the main thing that I've been playing across the past three weeks instead of all the other games that we could be talking about for this show. Um, sorry, that's also, other games. That's also my role within <laughs> uh, the 3MA universe. I'm I'm in a I'm a pain in the ass that everyone tends to love. So, uh, but yeah, you, you can you can set the game up to be difficult or easy in the way that you want it to be, and I have found like a balance that seems to work for me, where like I'm constantly on the border of moving up to that next like medium mech or even heavy mech stage, but it's really tough in a way that the original version of the plot was not. Uh, and that that's been extremely good for the game's longevity. Nice. So yeah, moving on to, to the other robot game and the other kind of another contender for kind of the strategy critic consensus game of the year, um, Into the Breach. Another game that I have not played nearly as much of as I wish I had. Uh, I've played about a similar amount of Into the Breach as I have of BattleTech. Have either of you guys really you know dived into this one? I have done a fair amount. Uh, I beat it a couple times with a few of the uh, little squads, but I did did not fall so fully in love with it as actually. I think it was the non-strategy critics who were like, "This is what strategy games need to be," and that's great. Like, I don't have any issues with people loving good strategy games, but I did not quite fall for it like a lot of them seem to. Yeah, this is my great kind of shame of the year. Is you know. Now I'm rhyming stuff, apparently, uh, <laughs> is that I actually haven't played it yet. It has constantly been on my to-do list, um, but I don't I don't know. I, I knew a lot of people really liked it, and every time I kind of looked at it, I just, it didn't, it wasn't something I had to play at that moment. So, I mean, I, I guess I'd throw it back to you and say, what, you know, what, what do you think made this such a strong game in the, you know, in the, in the strategy, uh, 
pantheon in 2018. So the big thing that it offers are um, constant little puzzles. Uh, it's you know they're I procedurally generated isn't quite the right word because they sort of come out of the flow of the game. It's not like here is puzzle. It's you know the bad guys happen to move and your guys are in a certain place, but each turn ends up being like a chess puzzle where you have you know six things happening and you have three. Uh, units that you can move in various ways and you have to try and stop as many of those six bad things from happening as you possibly can or turn them into good things happening negate them take a hit whatever Um, and it does a really good job of having that be very simple and accessible like visually like you can just look at the screen and see here are all the bad things that are going to happen here are all the my options that i can deal with and then it makes you feel really smart when you start figuring out ways to get around it like the time i beat the game um the last mission involved like you know constantly spawning enemies and a desperate attempt to stop them on my end uh and I was, like, posting screenshots on Twitter, but, like, this is impossible. Here are 11 different ways that if all of, if, like, two of them go through, it's game over for me. And I managed to stop, like, seven of them and have the random number generator stop two or three more and finish the game. It was absolutely amazing. Like, it was, this is, you know, one of the great feelings that you get for a certain type of strategy game is when something is impossible and then it's no longer impossible because you're a brain genius. Um, (laughs) uh, To go back to the last show we did, TJ, uh, some of the Warcraft 3 missions on hard, uh, finally beating those was a a similar sort of feeling. Okay. Um, But these were, you know, just sort of randomly generated in that way that, or generated still isn't quite work but they 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 fell that way it was not you know the game is sending a timing uh of you know 20 griffins to attack you at a certain point and that's really hard to beat it's you know everything just sort of flows the the key issue that i think i have with it that makes it not quite click in the way that uh it might for it might have for people who aren't super into strategy games is that each turn, you know, new enemies will show up, you see where they are, and they'll move, but you don't know how they'll move. So it becomes very difficult to play the game long term. It's each turn is its own little puzzle, but you don't, like, solve the next turn's puzzle a whole lot by that turn. You don't know where the bad guys are going to end up between each one. So it's not quite even like a chess puzzle, which a lot of people, I think Troy especially... uh uh, discussed when it came out. Um, Interesting. So, so it's that, it's not like the enemies are are likely to make the most optimal move, you know, from from one turn to the next. Um, it's more that there there are not a whole lot of situations where there is like a single optimal move. Like what you're doing in this game is you have your three units and you're trying to protect these buildings, and the enemies will attack your units, which you know kill you, or they'll attack the buildings, which uh, will slowly end the game over time. Um, the, yeah. the and there are just you know buildings all over and every hit on every building does one damage to whatever or sometimes two damage but uh it doesn't really matter which building they attack that's rarely an optimal situation so um yeah that it's it's not that they make the right or wrong moves it's just that there are a lot of 
right moves that they usually make. Yeah, and I I actually think that that puzzle aspect might be a big part of why it didn't it didn't grab me as much as it did uh, some some other you know people I've talked to about it. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of my friends that were big Advance Wars fans really love this game. I was not super into Advance Wars for very much the same reason that it felt like a lot of the levels I was playing a puzzle game more than a war game. And yeah, yeah it, I like that for some reason, just, it doesn't grab me. Um, I, I really liked Advance Wars the first time I played it when it was called Panzer General. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, I've heard that I should like push through just to see the end though. Cause the writing I've heard very good things about, um, and it was, it was Chris Avalon, I believe who was, yeah. At least um, one I mean, of the writers on the, here. There's a lot of interesting little ticks in it, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like there's like a grand end to the story that absolutely must be seen. It's just okay. if you're interested in the game, the writing will support that all throughout. Interesting. Well, that's another one I definitely have to go go back and uh, give another shot. But I think BattleTech's a little higher on that list for me. Um. Anyway, the other which has been discussed at length already on the show, but maybe we can, we can get some more out of it. The other kind of big dog, I feel like this year, as far as uh game of the strategy game of the year contenders was probably Frostpunk, which I have not played a single minute of. So I'm hoping that <laughs> you guys can, uh, can kind of run with this one. I mean, yeah, it's Frostpunk is another one of those games that works for me in a large part because of, like I like I, I realize as I'm like a thing that mattered to me this year was something that was evocative and Frostpunk is I mean way more than not way more but more than BattleTech I think it sets a stage and it you know it's you can say a lot of things about 2018 but it wasn't hard to put me in a bad mood this year and make me <laughs> yeah. feel like like things were kind of bad and Frostpunk's like no I got you don't worry about it this is covered um, but at the same time. Uh, it, it didn't, it's not one that I played a ton of, and it's not one I feel like going back to in the same way. It was, uh, while it was incredibly evocative and I could play it in the middle of summer and feel cold. Um, and, and like just the, the physicality of the strategy component to it in that the way you're laying out the city in the structure around this sort of central heating element uh, is as important as the sort of uh, city management decisions you're making, uh, you know, or, or the, the laws that you're creating. Um, like, despite all that, it just, it was... It, it it was really, it was a bummer to play. I don't know how else to put it. It just made me feel bad. Do you, do you think it's it was mainly the bleakness that makes you want to go back to I it, do. or is there something I, about the gameplay? No, not go back to it. No, I think I I don't I think it's okay to be bleak. I don't mm-hmm. think the game did enough interesting, really interesting things to for me that I hadn't played in other games or similar games to overcome that bleakness. I just I I don't know. It's again. Like I, I'm bringing way more emotion into this conversation than I thought I would uh, when talking <laughs> about like BattleTech and and Frostpunk. Um, but let's talk it, about I, the I, day Behemoth died. <laughs> <laughs> Make some tissues. I'll be right back. Uh, uh, no, so I, I'm curious, Rowan. Did did you play this? And I mean, I, 
I played a little bit. Uh, the impression that I get from it is that it's it's not a strategy game that's sort of meant to be a game that you go back to. It's like a narrative experience more than it is a, you know, endlessly replayable game of, you know, par- the Paradox School or whatever. And that's good. Like, I like that games like that exist. We've talked about some of them before. Um, Kingdom is the one that springs to mind immediately although it's kind of tried to do that and i don't think it's entirely succeeded but uh at any rate uh frostpunk is like it wants to put you in that bleak bad mood and sort of get you working on the horrible ways that you can get out of that it does a really good job of being evocative it's really beautiful it's a fantastic aesthetic experience um, it's elegant the way that you build out from your central heater in a radial style instead of like through straight lines of streets or whatever uh, is simple but effective at you know making it look like uh, yeah elegant is the only word that I'm coming up with here uh, when we talked about they are billions like a year ago um which is another sort of post-apocalyptic everything's gone to hell and you're just doing the best you can kind of game. The thing I wanted from that was a little more city-building orientation and a little more, like, aesthetic design to it. Not that the RTS zombie shooting thing was in any way, like, a bad idea, just the game ended up kind of feeling ugly as you progressed and you would just be uglier as you went on, whereas... So when I started playing Frostpunk, I was like, okay, this is what I meant. And obviously they're very different, and that one is the RTS tower defense thing, and the other one is much more of a city builder, but it had that post-apocalyptic idea, um, and I think that it did that in a way that is just kind of narrow, and that's fine. Um, it did not fully click with me. I got I started it right around the time that I got the code for the Battletech expansion, and yeah. just got stuck on Battletech, and... I don't want to say that's entirely f- that Frostpunk is not like a great game game, but I do think that's a little bit of it. Yeah, it it seems like it's right up my alley because I normally it's just it, I play, I had so little time this year. I'm like embarrassed with all the stuff that I didn't play. That's it also seems like there was just a lot of stuff this year that people were like, you've got to play this. Um, but it seems like it's right up my alley because I normally really like strategy games that put you in like a no win scenario and force you to kind of decide what what you want to save uh, the whole like if you try to save everything, you end up saving nothing. Um, that's definitely another one I, I have pretty high on my priority list to loop back to. One thing I've noticed, though, about post-apocalyptic games lately is that like. It seems like they're all aiming for, like, the world ending in ice sort of thing. And, I don't know, the real world seems like it might go the other direction. I'm curious why <laughs> we don't have more, like, the world ending in, like, fire and, and floods and droughts games. Uh, maybe we're, we're too we're too afraid of it to, to <laughs> look at it in the <laughs> eyes or something like that. It's, it's not fantasy enough, but... Uh, uh, yeah. I think I think we've had a lot of those in the past, and so it's just probably, hopefully, just kind of exploring a different end of the world. But I, I don't know. It's just ugh, it's Frostpunk is is like it feels like the same sort of statement. Even looking back, it feels like a game that I should have liked a lot more yeah. um, than I did, uh, and that's yeah. It, it just 
in, 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 looking at it, it looks like it should tick all the boxes. Um, so, I, you know, Interesting. I, 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 I can't sit back and remotely say it's a bad game. Uh, right? Like it, it, it has to to Rowan's point, it has a gorgeous aesthetic. It is incredibly elegant. Like there is something kind of beautiful about structuring that sort of. Um, around the circumference of of your city and just expanding outward and you can kind of feel the heat dissipating the further out you go and you're trying to push against there's some like even from the first moment where you're you're first send your your people out to go get like iron and wood and stuff and they're just trudging through the snow it is um both gorgeous and sort of horrible at the same time uh, so yeah i don't know it's uh, ice doesn't seem that much better <laughs> right now <laughs> Well, there was another city builder that came out this year. That I, This is the first game on the list I have played more than eight hours of, uh, which was Surviving Mars, um, kind of mm-hmm. similar in some ways, and that you're trying to build a habitable uh, ha- sort of society in a very cold and inhospitable place um, using various technologies. Did you guys get into this one much this year? Yeah, I played, I played about six hours of it. Okay. Probably. Yeah, I, I probably ended up playing like 10 or 12 or so. Um, and all of this was right before or after release, and mm-hmm. I feel like it was super half-baked at release, yeah. especially in terms of conveying you from early game to mid-game. Um, and so I pledged that I would go back when they fixed some of that. Like The first mods they put out were very obvious mods, like here's a thing that tells you how much water you have in your base, which was mm-hmm. not in the interface initially. And then like a, a patch later, a month later, they're like, all right, now we have this in the interface. And I'm like, all right, you're getting there. And they had an expansion that put rivals on the colony, which seemed like a good idea. Uh, but yeah, I have not gone back since that initial feeling of there's potentially good ideas here, but it's really not quite clicking them together. Yeah, I I actually haven't played it since they put in the the expansion with the AI rivals or whatever, and we did we did a show on this like months ago, and I think my takeaway from that episode is still kind of my overall takeaway about Surviving Mars, and I enjoyed it. Like it's it's a good game. I can see myself going back to it, but I do kind of feel like the the scale of things as your colony scales up, as you get bigger domes and more domes. Um, it, it felt like the human aspect kind of faded into the background, which was kind of a bummer for me. Like you can have, you know, colonists with all these crazy traits, but at some point you have such a buffer that like, even if like one person is causing a huge problem at one specific job site in one specific dome, you can kind of ignore it past a certain point in the game. You can kind of just be like, all right, I've got this small inefficiency happening over here, but my colony is so large, everything else is kind of going okay, so it's not a huge deal. And that was that was sort of my biggest core disappointment with it. Is I kind of I I felt like it was more fun when I had a smaller colony and mm-hmm. sort of the the personalities and the quirks of my individual colonists mattered more. If there was some kind of a you know. Uh, <laughs> a troublemaker running around it actually became a major problem i had to solve when he was 
1% of my population versus being 0.1% of my population or whatever, whatever the numbers break down to. Um, I also feel like they, they really, I don't know if they've fixed this sense, but they really needed a better way to have fine control over managing all those autonomous drones that transport your stuff between resource areas. Cause they, even if you had your, your, kind of drone relay network set up perfectly it didn't feel like the ai ever did a great job with that and so you, there was a lot of weird micromanagement you had to do that involves manipulating these units in ways that the game didn't seem designed to allow you to do easily um so yeah at the the, the bigger scales the further along you get in the game it seems like some of the systems break down i don't know if you guys played long enough to experience that um but i definitely do want to go back and see if what what they have changed and what they may or may not have fixed in that regard uh because yeah it just it it wasn't fun past a certain point to keep building up my colony which was it it's i think it's a problem that a lot of strategy games end up having where the early game is pretty well tuned and then they don't really they don't really fully um balance for or comprehend the implications of what this is going to look like in the end game on a much larger scale well yeah. it's also simply that the play testers test the early game the most yeah yeah uh, and that makes a great transition to one of the biggest releases of the year, which is one that has always had this issue in Civilization. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we got... Um, I, I almost could not believe that this was still 2018. But yeah, we, <laughs> we got the, uh, the Rise and Fall expansion, which, I mean, the feature list for this was... It seemed, like, amazing. Like, I've always wanted uh, <laughs> Civ to to have more modeling of the fact that civilizations do have ups and downs. It's not always a, a jaunty march to the future and prosperity and happiness. Uh, how much of this one did you guys uh, get to sink your teeth into? I played a decent amount, a few full games, I think. Um, yeah. Much like civilization six and i would argue five though i know i'm in a minority of this it's a lot of things that sounded really good and they felt really good when i was pushing myself to play them and mm -hmm. i had a struggle to motivate myself to go back and play them it's all it all feels overtuned um and this is this is the case since I feel like Civ Five got released was that uh, there isn't a certain amount of messiness in it. There isn't a certain level of chaos that you know paradox games have started developing. It's everything fits in its place, and this place leads it towards the end game. We've talked about this a bunch, um, mm -hmm. and that has an appeal when I'm focused on it. But when I'm not focused on it, it's just totally out of my brain. Um, so yeah, I think that it's it's very appealing. It's a really good expansion if you want to do more Civ Six, but it did not like tick the box that made me say I definitely want to play Civ Six like I did Civ Four and Three and mm -hmm. Two and One. I mean, I think that's exactly it. I I, I played very little of the expansion um, because I was all even as I was installing Rise and Fall, it was kind of, well, I guess I have to play this expansion. I just, it, it was the same sort of mindset of just like, 
Civ Six from day one didn't connect with me, and you know, and Civ Five, um, I enjoyed a lot more. But Civ Four is sort of remains for me uh, the the high point of my experience with Civilization, and um, yeah, it just I I I, I bounced really hard off of the expansion. I think I I tried a couple of games and got to mid game. And you know, the thing we were just talking about is the, the the transition makes sense because this has always been the problem with civilization games is that at some point it's just not fun to manage that empire anymore and I felt like there were so many I've always felt like there're just so many things to tinker with and that I, that I don't really care about in Civ 6. Um, and I don't know if that's fair or not, if it's p- specific for that version or if it's just finally sort of manifesting a problem that the series has had for a long time. Um, but this time it just, I, I, I was in and out in a couple hours tops. Uh, what's going along with that, like I th- feel like most of us on this show have become much more enamored with the paradox model of we are building a simulation that you're a part of. Um, yeah, you mm-hmm. are part of the grand sweep of history here. Uh, whereas civilization is built so much on you are the protagonist; everything revolves around you, um, and it has yeah. always uh, it's always struggled with the simulation aspect. But I feel like it specifically moved away from even trying to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of that might be because it's had an increasing multiplayer focus, uh, but some of it, I think, might just be that they think, and they're probably right to a certain extent, that people want to feel like they're the center of things. They want to get that in-game screen with a you win, and someone like me or people like us want to just get in the messy realm of history and be like, (laughs) well, what happens if I declare war here? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And to their credit, I do think that both this expansion and what they've they've said about the sixth one with environmental components um, seems like they're trying to work on that. They're trying to attach a sort of inherent pushback to playing the game well that creates interesting systemic responses uh and we'll see if it succeeds i mean like i think i think this one succeeded at a technical level but not at the emotional level that attached me to it yeah i mean my relationship with civilization at this point is a new expansion comes out and i play it for about 20 30 hours and then i put it away uh, whereas Civ 4 and Civ 5 were games I could play endlessly, sort of the same way I do. I, I was hotter on Civ 5, I think, than than uh, most of the panelists on, on uh, 3MA. But uh, yeah, like the way I play Paradox games now, that's that's what, I mean, Civ 4 and Civ 5 used to be for me, where I was like, I was always playing them. A lot of times I'd turn on my computer to play something else and be like, yeah, I'd re- actually, I'd rather play Civilization. And I'd start mm-hmm. a new campaign of that. But yeah, Civ 6 has just not been that for me. And I do wonder how much of that is that when Civ 5 came out, I didn't know that Paradox existed. And when Civ 6 came out, I was completely addicted to Paradox games already. So like maybe Civ 5 was just the best the best version available of what I was craving at that time, and that's why I ended up playing so many hundreds of hours of it. I don't know I would have played hundreds of hours of Civ V um, if I had had EU4 and CK2 
at the time that came out, maybe it would have been more like Civ Six for me, where I just like, you know, launch, I played about 30, 40 hours, expansion comes out, I played about 20, 30 hours and just haven't had any desire to look back on it since. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I have that thought sometimes, too, as to whether it's just, you know, whether the sort of age uh, of, of that that series has passed for me. But at the same time, there are lots of games that aren't EU4 or CK2 um, that I get into that are that are uh, I, I don't mean this as a pejorative that are more simplistic, that have a more straightforward approach that are taking it from a, a, a much more sort of. Um, uh, you know, sort of tactical position. Um, and, and, you know, we were just talking about Into the Breach, which, uh, you know, again, a lot of people really loved and like you guys, you, you guys played quite a bit. Um, I, I would even argue that, you know, there's tons of strategy games uh, that, that don't live up to that potential that, you know, the, the paradox model maybe follows that are really good. And I get very much into and Civ six, just from day one, I don't think it was simply that it's not EU four. I really think that when it comes down to just the way that game executes on the ideas of what a Sid Meier civilization game is, um, it just didn't, it, it, it felt kind of clunky uh I, it's not hard for me to imagine going back and playing a game of civilization 5 right now um even potentially civilization 4 my 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 15 year old actually has been playing a ton of civilization 5 with his friends just in the past uh couple of months and i asked them but you know do you do, are you interested in Civ Six? and his response is no this is the one we all like so i mean i yeah. think there is something to it yeah, and the weird thing is, like, I, f I feel like I would rather play Civ Six than Civ Five at this point, but, like, with now that Rise and Fall is out, but then, you know, like, I played so much Civ Five compared to how much Civ Six I played, which is part of why I, I lend some credence to the theory that maybe Paradox is the factor that, um, mm -hmm. you know... But I, I could also totally see why you why I would go back and play Civ Four over Civ Five and Civ Six because that is a different experience. Yeah, there is also that most of us became, if not games journalists, people who, you know, got supported by playing a variety of different games. And Civilization through my life was a game that I could lose myself in for two years, but now I neither need nor am helped by that. So yeah. um, that, that specific motivation is a thing that, like, it maybe that was a huge reason that I would lose myself in Civ for months at a time. And I did that with other games this year, don't get me wrong, but I didn't feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're talking about expansions, and uh, since we do have the Game King on the show, let's go through yep. the Paradox expansions that have come out this year so far. Um, I, th I feel like we should, of them. we should start with E4 and maybe, uh, Sean, you'll disagree with me on this. I feel like it was probably the least transformed of the major paradox games this year. There were three expansions that came out, um, mm -hmm. two of them being flavor packs for Britain and Iberia basically. And then we had Dharma, which was the big India expansion. Um, I feel like as far as years go for E4, 2018 wasn't like a big landmark year, but I'm curious to hear what you think about uh, nah. the changes. I, I, I think, I think you're dead on. I think that's absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed, well, 
So here's the interesting thing about it. I still haven't played Golden Century. I still, okay. it just, I have not come back to it. Uh, I played a ton of Rule Britannia. I played a ton of Dharma. I actually think Rule Britannia had the most interesting mechanical shift uh, in the game this year with the redesign of the mission system, um, yeah. which, which I think is the most interesting development uh, that came from EU4 this year is just that real, that transition. Uh, it, it gave an interesting structure, particularly to that early game, uh, particularly if it was one of the mission trees that was specific to uh when it was rural britannia it was like england or ireland or something like that uh when they added dharma you know a lot of and, and expanded um the, the entire kind of subcontinent india region and added a lot of of flavor to that area one of the things that really drove me forward uh when i played moir um was i just was most interested in their sort of mission structure um delhi's another one i've always I, that i want to go back and do again so i felt like that was the biggest most interesting interesting change of the year uh but then again there weren't a lot of other things that really competed with that and in many ways um the the flavor was the stuff that that got me interested in rule britannia uh where i finally did the ireland run that i've always wanted to do um and and then uh, with the with the dharma expansion as well and golden century like it's something I'm definitely going to come back to, but I've, there's been a ton of stuff out the past couple of months, and it didn't give me a good enough reason to dive yeah. quickly into it, which is a weird thing for me to say yeah. uh, about EU4, which is you know arguably my, my favorite game of, of all time. Yeah, I didn't even get into Golden Century until like within the last seven days. I finally took the dive for it because it, it really... like. Uh, and I I even tried to play Portugal. Like I was like, let's mm-hmm. let's go for like the target country, and it doesn't feel yeah, like I, a drastically I saw your different rage, experience. Your rage tweets. Yeah, that was that was a night where I was like, you know what? I am gonna I'm gonna take out my real world frustrations with every Cassus belly I can possibly get on uh, every country in North Africa, and that didn't end well for me. Uh, that was, uh, that was not Portugal's finest hour, but, um, yeah, it just, it feels like a low impact expansion and kind of a, like, lower impact year. I don't feel like the EU4 I'm playing in December 2018 is radically different from the EU4 I was playing in December 2017, which wasn't the case last year, because last year we got Institutions, which was huge. Yep. Um, yep. I don't, was it the year before that, that we got Art of War was, I want to say earlier, Art, Art of War was like 2015. Yeah, it's 2000, late 2015, early 2016, yeah. somewhere around there. But I mean, I think it does, it does at least offer up the question of whether, is that just because those were the series that came out this year, or is it because you afford, like how... Is there a lot more to do where it doesn't become bloated? I think it's fairly clear at this point that any Paradox game that gets over four years or so could never have a new expansion that dramatically changed everything and made it a totally <laughs> fresh new experience again. So <laughs> your, your sarcasm is recognized and appreciated. So moving on to uh, what's next on the list there, TJ? Uh, yeah, so, uh, Crusader Kings, I'm assuming, is the, <laughs> the one you're alluding to. Uh, because, yeah, uh, actually, th- I kind of grouped these two together because CK2 and Hoi 4 both had a single expansion this year, but they were both pretty high-impact expansions in terms of the amount of changes they made. 
Um, Fraser and I actually just did an episode on Holy Fury, so I am curious to hear if you guys have played it and if you have any thoughts, because probably the our listeners right now just heard me talk about it for like an hour. So uh, I have no, not I, played, I it yet, played it yet, but I have been on the verge of clicking and moments of weakness. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, have you? No, same same situation. Okay. I, I I haven't. I, 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 I I'm interested to talk Stellaris soon, but yeah, yes. I haven't gotten what? hearts. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. St- well, Stellaris. no, I, I have an I have an interesting take on that. Stellaris so. is the grand finale of this segment because it had <laughs> yeah. its two most significant transformative patch slash expansions. Um, you know, actually, let's let's just we we can we can tag on Hearts of Iron at the end, but let's say. Holy Fury restored my faith that they have interesting places to go with CK2 DLC. Uh, the randomized world stuff is great. Go listen to me talk with Fraser about it for an hour. It should be like two episodes back in your feed. Um, and let's you know, let's talk about a little bit about Stellaris, because we had Apocalypse this year and we had Megacorp this year, which completely mm-hmm. redid Warfare and completely redid the economy and planet management to the point that Stellaris is an utterly different game right now than it was at this same time last year. Sean, what, what have you thought about? It's almost tolerable. <laughs> Rowan, <laughs> Rowan would now give it a, like maybe a seven, seven point five. No. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, I, I, the the first apocalypse for me um, that was the first one that came out this year, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That was I want to say like February or March or something like that. Um, was like I felt like that that was a that was a strong move in a, in a really interesting direction. I am having some challenges kind of getting my head wrapped around megacore um and the, specifically like the complete redesign of the planets uh and and managing that is both it, it it's both absolutely something that needed to be done and I think is moving in the right direction um but it adds a layer of fiddliness that i can't help but rem- it, it, it it feels to me a bit like the uh when when they added an eu for all the different uh god what are what are the in, not institutions estates. but where you're like development the, yes estates. No, develop, no, estates yes it, it feels to me like the estates patch uh uh for for stellaris it just it adds a layer of it seems to miss the point, which was my favorite thing about Solaris was always the first five hours and that sense of exploration. And it is a step removed from that even further, where it absolutely it seems to be sacrificing to to me something that is fundamentally enjoyable about the game to make it a more stable game in the mid and later parts of of it. So it it, it's, it almost feels like it's kind of tr- <laughs> my <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks, Rowan. Thanks for see, ruining the part of Stellaris. I really see. I didn't. Know. I didn't have that experience at all because I feel like because of the Empire size constraints now that that initial lonely exploration phase usually lasts longer for me. Like it'll extend those five hours out to maybe like eight or ten, just because empires can't expand as fast. So if you're playing mm. on a large galaxy and you don't tick the AI empire slider up all the way. It it takes a lot longer for you to meet anyone. And I, I actually like that. I mean, I always hated the tile system. So obviously this was a big positive patch for me. I've, I've bitched about tiles and Stellaris since it came out. And uh, I, I like 
the way that you kind of have to balance housing and amenities with resource production now it it feels like planetary management is actually something i want to do versus something that i'm like oh god what is this icon what do i need i need to upgrade power plants or something please uh i i I don't want to deal with this click 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 and now it's like okay i understand how i can specialize my planets i understand the trade-offs i need to make when developing each planet um i really like i mean the megacorp features i can kind of take or leave but the patch that came with it i've liked it pretty much across the board you know, it's it's interesting because I I don't argue with anything you say. Like I feel like when I'm playing Stellaris in, in in its most recent sort of iterative take, I do feel like I'm making more interesting strategic decisions at at every level and sort of stage of the game. Um, I feel like I have a greater degree of control over making a thing into the thing that I want it to be, rather than just having to kind of um, you know set the stage for you. Know, whatever inevitable end game catastrophe is coming my way. But I don't know if there's, there is something about it that, that is starting. And maybe here's here was my take on it. Here, here is my kind of feel on it. I think I may be just coming to terms with the fact that when it first came out, there was a game I wanted Stellaris to ultimately be, and I'm not sure it's actually ever going to, be that oh well, does that make well i wouldn't know anything uh, about that my innocence is ruined <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> i wouldn't i, so, I, I wouldn't know. know anything about uh basing my impressions of stellaris on what i wanted it to be and not on what it actually was um I'd love vindication. There's a lot of subtext going on right now, isn't there? Ro- uh, Rowan, so have you much. have you played this at all yet? No, because like, obviously your 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 Stellaris opinions are the spiciest of any of us. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I have not. I I said my next big attempt at it would be when they fixed the diplomacy system, or okay. perhaps included a diplomacy yeah. system. Might be a better way to phrase that, but yeah, yeah. Which they've kind of more or less said without saying that. Yeah, that's yeah. what the next no, I, big I patch is going to be. It's on the way, so that's yeah. my plan yep still the best still the worst part of the game is diplomacy so yeah uh that's definitely understandable um so real quick waking the tiger for hearts of iron uh i know rowan and i played a fair bit of this did you uh mess with this at all sean no um yeah honestly the i think the biggest stuff with waking the tiger is a lot of stuff that i'm interested to see what they're going to do with it in the future with stuff like uh, insurgencies and border conflicts and all this stuff they kind of set up specifically for the China scenario. But I think that has a lot of potential to be used even in, as far as like extending the timeline. Um, Rowan, what are, what are your, what's your overall take on waking the tiger? Um, I sort of have the same feeling from it that I got with uh, the sort of medium sized expansion they did with central Europe, um, mm. which was that, they're doing a good job of sort of meticulously picking parts of the map and making them places that maybe I would never have expected to enjoy, but now I do. Um, and I didn't really expect that that would be the direction they would go with Hearts of Iron, but I end up actually really enjoying it as like, a, okay, I'm going to try to play communist China until I get this sucker right, or I'm going to try to you know recreate the Austrian Empire and see how far this can go. And like, it's a it's a fun little way to sort of see how the systems 
see how far they go, get back into the game, and then you know maybe drop in and do a France or a Russia game and see how that how that goes with the the interface quirk. So I I kind of like the direction that they're taking the game in uh, focusing on the narrow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it's like they're kind of creating curated alt history experiences for you to kind of go through if you're bored of the curated historical experience of historical World War II, which is given that they have a relatively short time frame to work with. Uh, it, it does seem like it's kind of a wise um, path to go down. Yeah. And I think but, I like that idea better than like if they were to do, say, Korea. Um, yeah. Maybe World War One I, I could get into because I think that the tactical system would be really good for World War One, but yeah. um, but extending it later into Korea and Vietnam and stuff, I, I would be a little less excited about than I think if they you know go and make France really really cool because I enjoyed playing France a lot already. Um, yeah, and I know that you're into the mods a lot. Have, have you seen those use these systems since uh, they've yeah. had the time to? Mature. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm big into like the, the, you know, Kaiserreich and, uh, road to 56 and some of those bigger mods. Um, I haven't actually played hearts of iron in probably three or four months, which in, in which time a lot of those have released package patches that take advantage of some of the waking the tiger features. Um, I'm, I'm more interested to see, uh, how those mods are going to adapt to the next expansion, which, you know, is going to add, like, fuel supply and stuff like that. Uh, and finally fix the Navy, which is great. Hopefully um, fix naval invasions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, I hope so. Uh, that's that's what would bring me back, honestly, yeah. is is that really making that a more interesting component. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's an issue that I found when I was playing. I, I played like probably 10 or 15 Communist China games because it's mm-hmm. a really difficult scenario. Um, yeah. And like initially what I would try to do is uh, switch off the kind of historical paths that you have the, the other countries taking mm-hmm. and they would always end up with the war ending way way earlier and someone just completely taking over the entirety of eurasia usually the nazis sometimes the russians um and then you know america and britain are just doing these tiny little naval invasions for the next six years Mm -hmm. uh and like eventually i realized the only way that i'm going to get any kind of late game experience that doesn't involve (laughs) the nazis just running over all of east asia is if i turn on the uh um, historical pathways, which is kind of feels like it defeats the purpose. So hopefully they can figure out how to not have quite so much snowballing. And I think that effective D-Day would be a good way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or some way for the AI to eventually invade Japan instead of prolonging the war ad infinitum if you don't do it yourself as Yugoslavia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's those are kind of the uh, that's those are the paradox expansions. Um, before we uh, allow Rowan to run us through the tactical RPG gauntlet, the one other game I kind of wanted to hit was uh, Warhammer 40k Gladius, which is basically 
uh, Sid Meier's Warhammer 40,000-dization. It's, it's <laughs> kind of a Civ-like <laughs> war game. Um, it's, what did you... Aesthetically, in many ways, yes. Yeah. Uh, but the games that it actually reminded me the most of were the Warlock games that Paradox did a few years back. That's, that's true. That's uh, actually a much better comparison. Because... Yeah. It's much more focused on the individual tactics of your units and kind of progressing through a narrative via exploration as opposed to we're simulating an entire thing. It's like, no, this is a war game. It's a war game with a Civ-style interface, uh, but it is focused almost entirely on uh, combat and exploration that triggers more combat. Um, and I really like that. Like, I like the simplicity of it. It's not something I would say is a truly great game, but uh, in both cases, I enjoyed my time with Warlock and with Gladius. And uh, it's there's just something that's kind of nice about having the familiarity of the Civ system, or not system, but interface, um, perspective that's what that's the word i'm looking for uh with a much less ambitious and much more immediately graspable uh sort of play flow um so yeah enjoyable game sean did you play any gladius uh no but i did play mechanicus a bit um there's so which many is... 40k games this year <laughs> <laughs> just like if you like Warhammer 40k, this was your yeah. There was Inquisitor, uh, which was like the ARPG, and there were yeah. I I think I reviewed three of them, and I didn't even play all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Mechanicus was the one that I picked up, which has sort of I don't. It's more of that sort of tactical turn-based XCOMy with a dash of Darkest Dungeon in there in a weird way, and yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a game that I uh that that i that i'm coming back to i i played uh probably four or five hours of it and really enjoyed it like it was a it, it was something I, I i'm looking forward to playing uh some more of um because it just it's got a it's got a really good feel like it's a, it's a more sophisticated in the same way like i was talking about BattleTech earlier it's one of those games where you can learn it very quickly you can understand the basic concepts very quickly you can be effective in combat very quickly uh but there all of that sort of belies um, these sort of additional layers of strategic uh, options that you that you kind of unlock, and it's you know it's one of those games that when you realize you can do X, then it does. It makes you feel very smart, and it has a really cool like it's got um, a very cool uh, ability to structure your individual units and kind of set them up and augment them and do all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, because you're not doing the Space Marines, right? No. No, you're doing the uh, the like the with the worshippers of the Omnissiah. Uh, yeah, you're you're the, the, the Adeptus uh, uh, Mechanicus. Mechanicus yeah. yeah, against yeah. the Necrons. Yeah. So so that's that's really interesting to me, both because like for the love of God, there's more going on in that setting than Space Marines. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yes. but we also got Space Hulk Tactics this year, which yeah. is about Space Marines. Um, uh, yeah. But also also the thing that interests me about Mechanicus is the actually physically altering your units yes. which is a thing that i have been talking about with uh, uh the guest we had for the hearts of iron show april daniels um she's big into the idea of like body modification for an actual tactical game um and that mm -hmm. this came out so i've been i've been curious about giving it a, a try when i managed to yeah, and 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 that those those augmentations are like they're meaningful. They they genuinely they strategically it gives you a really interesting way to try and craft a 
cohesive unit that does interesting things um but also just like visually and just like setting up it just it feels cool all right uh so this was a <clears throat> i i didn't have a transition there yeah, well that uh, is a tactical rpg so we could is, just move yeah. on to other tactical so, rpgs yeah, this this was Fair. a big year for uh <laughs> for tactical rpgs there were quite a few rowan why don't you give us the rundown um, well, the first game that came to mind after Mechanicus as a as a like sort of darkest dungeon like was uh, what was it called again? Depth of Extinction, which is a, a little indie darkest dungeon like um, set in like a water world type of situation uh, that uh, I played a little bit of and had some fun with and would be willing to go back to it it was a little bit clunky but it also had like really nice little indie chiptune music going on with it uh and interesting pixel art it just it's it was a a fascinating little game in a way that i feel um kind of shows that strategy games are bleeding into uh what we would consider like the indie scene and maybe that's just aesthetics but uh it, i still liked it um but there there were several like straight up tactical rpgs this year that i have played some or most of um the one that just came out that's been getting a lot of attention is Mutant Year Zero, which is by Funcom, who did The Longest Journey and Secret World. Um, and it is a pretty good stealth tactical RPG uh, with um, Funcom-level storytelling. And I've only done a couple missions in it, but it seems pretty enjoyable. And I've seen a bunch of people talking about how it's like their surprise December game. Uh, did you guys touch it all yet? I think we talked about it and you hadn't. Yeah, I haven't I haven't looked at it yet. It is to tie back into earlier in the show. Uh it's made uh it's based on a tabletop RPG that is made by the same Swedish company that is doing the Crusader Kings board game. Uh so there, okay. <laughs> there's a there's a tie in there. Um yeah, Sean, have <laughs> you? No, it's uh it we 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 got uh, a copy, but somebody else snatched it out before I could get a hold of <gasps> it. Bastards. I was distracted, and so yeah, I yeah, I've been trying to catch <laughs> up on stuff like Pillars Two and Kingmaker. So, I, like when I, I had, oh, well, oh, there's another game that just came out that you have to play. I was like, there's no way, there's no way. <laughs> That's not the wisest start to the catch up, perhaps. Yeah, that was. Um. I kind of doomed myself uh, <laughs> on, on picking those two as the ones to chip away at, but. Uh, so we also had Banner Saga 3 completing the trilogy come out. Uh, I never quite finished the first Banner Saga, and I managed to finally go through and do that and like sort of get past the things that had uh, got in, my, in the way of my motivation, which uh, a lot of that was like there are choices that you make early in the game that have huge consequence and they're just like dialogue choices that have huge consequences later in the game that you don't know when you're making in any way whatsoever and that's a thing that annoys the hell out of me but replaying the game having an idea of how that was working i was managed to get through it pretty comfortably so then i moved on to banner saga 2 which i had never touched before got maybe halfway in the game, made a choice that was apparently bad and had my best character die and said, fuck it. So I have not gotten to Banner Saga 3. <laughs> uh, maybe in a few months, I will be willing to restart Banner Saga 2 and be like, okay, I know that some bad things might happen if I make cer certain choices in certain ways and I can be more comfortable with that. 
Uh, did you guys play Banner Saga at all? No. I've started the first one, but I never, I never got much further than that. No. Yeah. Well, they are, they are. A friend of the show, Jordan Marshak, told me was telling me when I was complaining about the, these dialogue issues was that for a combat that is really specific and really. I don't know about fiddly is quite the right word, but it's very, it's very transparent and clear in how it should be working and uh, intricate in a way that like tends to make all of it turn into kind of a, an interesting little battle of attrition. Um, and then you have just this really bizarrely arbitrary. Uh, narrative structure attached to it that makes it kind of hard to see how these are the same game in some ways um yeah uh i really want to like it more but have not been able to but at some point we will probably do a banner saga three roundup show when we have enough people who've played all three (laughs) which may or may not include me uh and finally um Mario plus Rabbids had an expansion this year uh, based around Donkey Kong that uh, I think really, and you can hear about that on the show that I did with uh, Danielle and uh, Ben Bertoli, uh, but it felt like that was taking all the pretty interesting good ideas that the game had initially and really streamlining them into this is the game that I wanted to play. So uh, I that that one comes highly recommended if you were at all into the the original form of Mario Plus Rabbids. It's it got it did away with a lot of the things that I thought were a little uh, demotivating and just was a really solid uh, RPG experience and it stands alone mostly. So uh, you don't need to have finished the the first one. So yeah, that's my Mario Plus Rapids. Would uh would I, I didn't actually get far enough to find out, um, I, but I do know a little bit from the tabletop module about how it sort of plays out toward the end game. Would you say Kingmaker is a strategy game at all? Um, uh, okay, well, <laughs> we did do a show yeah. on both Kingmaker or on the style yeah. of RPGs earlier this year. You were on that one, yeah. I, I was. I, I yeah. yeah. I had not. I don't think I had started Kingmaker yet at that point, though. And I've no, no. This was in like May. There. Yeah. This was this yeah. was right after Pillars Two okay. came out, and yeah, I you're right. I ended up really really liking Pillars Two. Yeah. Um, because it was not tactical and not terribly <laughs> strategic. Uh, because uh, this was the thing that we discussed is I don't like the Infinity Engine style yeah. combat. I don't think it's good tactics. Um, and Pillars 2 was really easy. So that was great. I loved it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the the, sto- the storyline is great. Um, and there there is a slight strategic layer in like building up your ship, right. but it's not not that relevant. Um but Kingmaker is more interesting, and I talked about this with Rob in the After Dark or whatever episode a month or so ago, because it has these strategic choices that you're making where you, you know, when you take your RPG party at the start of the game, you go and take over a barony, and now you're the baron, and you're making these choices throughout that are supposed to uh, affect how the barony goes. And how far did you get, TJ? I've I've gotten to like the first part where you kind of start making uh, those executive choices, but I've actually played the 
tabletop module further than that, which obviously is different because when you have a game master, they can kind of take your <laughs> domestic and foreign policy decisions and do interesting things with them. I'm just not sure how deep the RPG got or the computer version got into that. Uh, there are a lot of numbers that go up and down and sometimes yeah. they're bad. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that really what ruling a kingdom is like? <laughs> yes. In many ways, uh, there are numbers that go up and down and sometimes they're bad. So what I was yeah. sort of describing slash complaining about this yeah. game with Rob, uh, he was like, okay, but I kind of want to play this now. And it's mm-hmm. true. Like the way that the, um, the way that the kind of strategic layer feeds back into the decisions, or not the decisions you made, just the quests that you've done, uh, how you have played the game, it does a really good job of kind of reinforcing and narrating what you've done already. Uh, you You go and you do a thing, and then you get a choice about it. It's like, oh, the game recognizes that I have accomplished this. And this is the thing I actually wrote about a long time ago in terms of sports games, where uh, having the announcers saying things that are going on like reinforces how motivated you are to play the game because the game is clearly recognizing or failing to recognize in some cases the way that you have played it. And what Kingmaker has with these decisions at a level that uh, Dragon Age Inquisition is the closest comparison point that I have with its war war table. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Kingmaker actually seems to feel like it's consistently reinforcing you repeatedly. Now, it's not a good strategy game in any way as it's doing these things, but it is using the strategic layer to make the RPG seem more important, Um, which like i don't know if i liked but i played it for like two months and restarted five times and uh um yeah that was bad time in my life (laughs) it Um, also sounds like inquisition it was pretty much impossible to make any wrong choices on the war table and from what i've heard about kingmaker uh from you and from uh my friend dm schmeyer who reviewed it uh it sounds like it's very, very easy to make very, very wrong choices on the yes. strategic layer in Kingmaker. Yes, it's un- <clears throat> you have you know cert- you have certain advisors who are mostly your party members, and you can send the advisors to do specific tasks. And it's not clear which of those tasks you should be doing early on in order to get your kingdom a solid foundation. Um, it seems like the thing you should be doing are like the easy events that pop up for you, but what you actually should be doing are the like slow buildup of your kingdom's overall economy. And you want to always try to make sure that you're getting the easy buffs when you can, but mostly you're trying to make sure that you're just um, constantly improving the kind of foundational level of your kingdom. And the way it's portrayed, it comes across as you should kind of be doing the opposite of that, and yeah it's it's kind of a mess hopefully it's gotten better like as i was playing it as i discussed on the show with rob uh it was um they were consistently patching it to fix the biggest annoyances that i had like as i was playing it i would restart and discover oh they've patched in an explanation as to how to accomplish this bullshit (laughs) finally well they Uh, they even they even eventually added an option where it's impossible to lose the game by mismanaging your kingdom so yeah um Um, but they they also they also That was in there initially, but it also took away all of the choices you made. It was just like, you can put this on the conveyor belt and it will go through. 
But I think eventually they added a thing where you can still make the choices. You just can't totally lose on the strategic layer. It's, and and I, I think you were going to ask whether I played it. And this conversation is like, it's exactly why I didn't, which is, <laughs> it sounds like I, I love the idea here. I want to play the game with this idea. It doesn't feel like the problem here is the concept. It really feels like it just was the execution of this concept. Just doesn't, I, it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound, yeah. I don't know. It, it doesn't well, sound compelling. It actually kind of is. And okay. it actually kind of really works. Like I said, it reinforces what you're doing regularly. Right. The problem is the game is fucking gigantic. <laughs> This is this game is like five times bigger than the original Baldur's Gate. Um, it just goes on forever and ever and ever, and there's a whole bunch of balance issues throughout. There are mm-hmm. battles that seem absolutely impossible. Uh, there are like the the issues I was talking about with the kingdom, where like midway through the game you could discover, oh, I did not build this up the right way, and now it's game over. Do I want to restart, or do I want to uh, like put it on the super easy mode, which feels like cheating? But yeah, on yeah. the other no, hand, I put thirty <laughs> well, hours into this. Um, and it, like, it legit what, feels like what should have happened is they should have released it in like two or three parts or in a telltale style episodic thing. And there were actually a bunch of like tactics games that came out that way this year that I really wanted to get into and never did. Um, but yeah, <laughs> tactics stuff is everywhere. But anyway, yeah, yeah. It, it feels, it felt like, and this is like a new studio. It's filled with veterans who had to like work with Larian and stuff. So it's not, you know, not new people at making video games, but a new studio taking on, I would s- probably say this is the biggest non-massively multiplayer RPG that I've ever played. Uh, biggest there just might in be some, volume? Or... Just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. in sheer amount of time that it should take to accomplish everything. Um, I am reasonably completist, uh, but like, if there's a quest in my journal, I'm going to try to do it. Uh, I'm going to try to explore most of this. And I generally like this whole process, but it's just so giant and so cumbrous, cumbersome, cumbrous. That is not a word. Um, <laughs> it is so uh, encumbered uh, to use the the role playing term that um, yeah, that it does all the things that do work also don't work. <laughs> Well, and, and kind of what DM said about it to me, because we've been actually playing tabletop games, including Pathfinder together for years. And it's like he said, it's like they're trying to cleave too closely to what Pathfinder plays like on the tabletop. But with a computer as the GM, which yeah. totally doesn't work because yeah. in, in a tabletop environment, if you ran into this encounter and it was clear that the players were like not getting it or like they weren't really prepared for it or you overtuned the enemies, the game master can be like. Uh, yeah, that miss was actually a hit. I want you guys to have fun, so I'm going to fudge it a little bit. Or, like, if it's clear you're mismanaging your kingdom, maybe he'll send an NPC along that's going to drop you a hint. You know, he's not going to end the entire campaign because you, yeah. you know, forgot to send an advisor to do some little thing that seemed unimportant at the time. And the fact that you don't have a human being behind the screen kind of tilting things and conveying information dynamically is why he felt it didn't fully work. Yeah, that, that was pretty much exactly my initial mm-hmm. reaction. The only thing I ended up writing about it was, uh, I think, headline, uh, 
Pathfinder Kingmaker is goddamn infuriating. But like, they, <laughs> <laughs> they, they consistently worked to patch it, perhaps a little too much. There was like a major patch yeah. every day for a while, and I hope that they also <laughs> slept. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And I think that this is something that Rob mentioned when he was telling us about what happened on the show earlier today was they talked a lot about how strategy games are kind of bleeding throughout diff- other different genres. And this is one of the, the primary examples of that in ways that are really interesting and sometimes good and sometimes, uh, dear God, why did I waste my life on this? <laughs> That's, I, I that's love it because everything was becoming an RPG for a while, and I'm totally for everything becoming a strategy game now. Well, no, that, 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 you, you're totally you right, though. It, I mean, were you on the State of Decay episode? I was not on the State of Decay episode. Okay, because uh, I believe I went on a rant saying that we should be offended by how they're <laughs> uh, destroying our beloved genre with this bullshit. <laughs> so uh, be careful what you wish for there, TJ. Well, you and I always disagree anyway, so this is just a continuation of a theme. <laughs> what, what were you going to say about that, I, Sean? I, I, was, I was going to agree. I, I, I've been having this thought for about a month now that the most interesting strategic decisions I've made in gaming this year largely have not been in strategy games. Um, yeah. I mean, my favorite game of the year, and, you know, it's technically not even out yet was slay the spire and we did a whole show about that which i thought was the most interesting like it 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 made me think about what i was doing far more than most of the strategy games or the expansions that i picked up i was uh i finally am on board with uh return of the Oberdin, which is another big hit it's not a strategy game uh by any means but it is it is activating the same kind of interesting decision making logic puzzles that I don't feel like I got in my, you know, kind of chosen genre this year. I feel like I'm answering, like, there's a lot of questions of, did you play this this year, Sean? And I'm kind of coming back. No, I didn't do that. I did play all these other things that had a strategy component to them that finally felt better than it had been. Um, and no, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. I, 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 I think when done well, I think it's easy to I think it's easy to implement a strategy component, a strategy layer to a game that is uh, that is poor and embarrassing and makes me feel bad. I don't feel like I saw that at this as much this year as I certainly have in in previous years. Usually, when you know some you know Mass Effect comes along and says we have a strategy, comp- uh, no, you don't. You know, it's <laughs> you, you, please don't. Um, but that that's not what I felt like this year. I don't know. I, would, uh, I think you should play Into the Breach more. I, yeah, uh, I should, maybe. I, that, that's, that is I think that I one's going back. to give you what you're looking for, apparently. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, some of them are good and some of them are bad. Like, State of Decay was uh, just a disaster as a strategy game, and it mm-hmm. fed everything into the strategy game. So uh, it, I liked the first State of Decay a lot, and I did not like the second State of Decay at all because it was just so bad at being a strategy game. Um on the other hand, Slay the Spire is it's a genre mishmash of like roguelike deck building game and uh that's enough that we did a show on it, but right. also because it's just a fantastic fucking game. Yep. Um 
so we we can appropriate that if we want but uh, i would technically not but on the other hand it does have a bunch of interesting strategic decisions and if you want to say a deck builder game is a strategy game and we can take that game then yes that's definitely one of the top games of the year i Um, I would i wouldn't go that far i would i i'm i'm with you i'm a purist enough to say no that's not a (laughs) that's not a strategy game what i am saying is it felt it didn't feel like strategy games were catching me this year in making those kind of interesting decisions in that the way they have in years before. And so I kind of went looking elsewhere. I'd like to come back to a pure strategy game next year that just kind of blows my mind. And Battletech came the closest to that. Like Battletech, there's a reason we started the show off with Battletech. There's a reason why it's it's kind of the top of everything because it was the game. It was the only game on this list of stuff we've talked about where I felt like it was hitting all the core elements in the way that you wanted it to it was offering you choices it was giving you layers of of strategy it was giving you layers of tactics and making a distinction between those two things it was you know evoking a feeling at the same time like it was it was it was hitting everything in a way that a lot of these other games just didn't for me well i think if we want to get really meta for a second um there's two sorts of like strategy game appeals. Um, one of which is the kind of every decision matters. Every every little movement that you take is potentially huge, and that's the sort of thing that Into the Breach does or Slay the Spire does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually thinking of writing an article about how uh, the roguelike genre was like finally moving into a really interesting. Uh, space after those two plus dead spell dead cells dead cells yeah um, awesome game um and i never could quite crack it but it does have that kind of uh every little thing you do seems like the biggest thing you can do um and i think that's sort of what civilization is trying to do but isn't quite succeeding yet but then the other thing is where battletech and a lot of the paradox style games where um what's happening in the game is a culmination of all the decisions that you are making it's a bunch of little things and what's happening is kind of the manifestation of how you have designed all of what you have 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 moved toward and i think both of these things have their very strong appeals mm-hmm. i tend to lean more towards the 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 kind of messier little decisions add up but um it's not like i dislike it into the breach or an XCOM. um and i think you know maybe a civilization six is like not succeeding at either one of those things terribly well even though it's trying to do both uh and you know some of the expansions that we we've talked about like i i tried to do the warhammer vampire coast thing and i was just like no i'm not in a warhammer mood right now or i'm not in a total war mood right now (laughs) so i don't know if that was me or it uh but yeah the civilization expansion the eu4 expansion sounds like it was that way um and yeah so tomb kings was really good tomb kings was this year right i believe tomb kings was in like february that was fun was really good yeah yeah are are we missing anything essential? Do you, is uh, anything either of you guys like you would not want to leave the show without bringing it up? Mm, no, okay, I think, so I think we that, got it. <laughs> with that in mind, I'm curious, and I'll I'll throw this to you first, Sean. What do you think is like the headline for strategy games in 2018? What's the highest strategic level view in your mind? 
Uh, wow, that's a big question. Um, like, <laughs> like, like, you mean just like if you had to sum up some of the some 2018? Yeah, up and from maybe the, you know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be canonical. It can be in your personal experience. Um, um, 2018 was the year that made me miss real time strategy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, which we did, which we haven't talked about once arguably and because yeah, the yeah. biggest game in that genre is an absolute embarrassment yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that so yeah that, 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 that's that's, that's game. yeah rowan what about you i would say that this is sort of the year that it felt like strategy games have become normal yeah. um and i think a large part of that is the switch uh, we've okay. started seeing like more and more tactics games show up there. Uh, the Disgaea's are showing up there in addition to stuff like Into the Breach, Bad North. Um, so we're we're getting like mainstream little strategy games appearing all over the place. Uh, and also, I think just the sheer kind of mass of here's a different variety of every strategy game you could want except for real-time strategy games and uh good um but <laughs> like just every every sort of niche is like seeming to get filled a little bit uh and it seems to be doing pretty well um i think like you look at steam's list of their like top games of the year in terms of sales and there are like six different paradox games on there whatever yeah. uh it you you can just sort of see that we're getting stuff all over the place that's really interesting and um you know 10 years ago strategy games were like almost dead like we had civilization and the, the occasional slides of the solar empire and then you know with steam and now with things like the switch things like tablet games being largely accepted it doesn't seem like strategy games are in any danger anywhere yeah. uh, except rts's and you know they had their day and i'm okay with that i know that some people might be more disappointed yeah i think for me this was the year of doing a terrible job of playing the games that everyone told me i needed to play <laughs> between less than 10 hours of BattleTech, less than 10 hours of into the breach and not even booting up Frostpunk, which are kind of i mean three i'd say at least three of five strategy games that seem like got a lot of buzz for end of the year nods this year uh so i'm i'm hoping to do a better job of that <laughs> in 2019 maybe i'll find a way to magically conjure time out of a you know a, a pint of beer or something like that but uh <laughs> i find that works in reverse i find this the other way around <laughs> yeah that's true it is it is usually the other way around but wouldn't it be wonderful i did play, I played a lot more ck2 and eu4 as i'm sure everyone will be shocked to hear those are <laughs> mm -hmm. still probably uh, my two most played strategy games in 2018 so uh, one that i didn't mention that fits in perfectly <laughs> was uh i got football manager on the switch oh yeah how is and, that on uh, switch it felt exactly like when I was playing, well, not exactly, but it felt like it was the sort of championship manager feeling I got like 18 years ago when oh. it was at its best, where you were just kind of making the decisions that you felt that you wanted to make. It was not as goddamn fiddly as the 
uh, more recent ones have. And, you know, it's called Football Manager Touch and you can get it on Steam, but it like was specifically designed for the Switch in a way that I think worked really well. It's like, all right, here's the level of decision making that I wanted. Um, okay. And yeah, that's, that's the thing that ties my argument together was just how deep I got into that on Switch um, because it was on Switch. Uh, yeah. As opposed to the PC version, which has kind of crawled into its own uh, excessively detailed form. Yeah, and I actually think at this point I've played more Darkest Dungeon on Switch than I did on PC, yeah. just because it's mm-hmm. the kind of game that lends itself well to that platform. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was this year, right? Yeah, I think that For was Switch. This year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Well, without going off on too much of a tangent, because we have talked uh, quite a while, and it is I know it's getting late for some of us, I think we will cap off 2018, uh, the, the year that was, with that. Um, I, don't, I don't have a script or anything, so I'll see if I can uh, muddle through this, but uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network and is produced by Michael Hermes, you can uh, discuss this episode and others with our community on the Idle forums, um, which I I don't remember the web <laughs> address for that. But Three Moves Ahead is also uh, supported by listeners like you on Patreon. Uh, so if you would like to contribute to that, you can head on over to Patreon.com/3ma. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com/3ma. You can follow uh, any of the fine panelists here on their respective twitters uh yeah mine is uh, at elysium gwj i am at rowan kaiser and i am at asa tj that is a-s-a-t-j we look forward to seeing you guys again in the new year uh 2019 we've got actually some pretty exciting stuff coming up pretty early in the year so we'll have some good shows uh, hopefully. And uh, until then, uh, have a happy new year. Bye.